presents First Years, a podcast for all but geared toward adult first-time readers of Harry Potter, who need a space to enjoy each book and have adult conversations about it. My name is Sarah, and I'm honored that you've allowed me on this journey with you. Crack open a butterbeer, grab a seat, and let's discuss. Today, we're talking about PTSD, depression, and anger. Welcome, everybody, to episode 45 of First Years. Welcome back. I hope you guys are as excited as I am to jump into Order of the Phoenix today. Thank you guys so much for allowing me to take this break. It was really great to catch up on everything, and I have a lot of really great things planned for Order of the Phoenix. So today we're going to jump right into chapter one. Before we get into that, um, we are doing House Cup Cocktails for book four. Um, So that is going to be this Friday, December 3rd at 8 p.m. EST. And we're going to do it on the First Year's Pod Instagram Live. So be sure to check out the post on our Instagram for the ingredients that you need to buy if you'll be joining us, which I really hope you do. It'll be a really fun night. We'll make cocktails. We'll talk Harry Potter. And it'll be the last chance for you guys to win house points before we pick the champions of the house cup and the winner of the giveaway. And it'll also be a really great opportunity to celebrate our second year anniversary. First year's podcast is officially two years old. So whether you've been with us since the beginning or are just finding us now, I'm so glad that you are here. Um, You guys are awesome, and I am so happy to be back doing more episodes. I missed you guys so much. So remember, House Cup Cocktails Night, December 3rd, that's this Friday, at 8 p.m. EST over on our Instagram, which is First Year's Pod. Okay, let's get started. So for Order of the Phoenix, we have 25 episodes that are going to carry us through the next year covering Order of the Phoenix. And today we are starting with chapter one, which is a super exciting action-packed chapter that just gets us started into this next adventure with Harry. So when we first see Harry in this first chapter, He is sitting under the windowsill, listening to the news, trying to hear any news of the wizarding world through the muggle news. He's kind of disheveled, his shoes are falling apart, he has to hide in the flower bed because his aunt and uncle don't even want him in the same room listening to the news because apparently that's suspicious now. So Harry has to hide himself to listen to the news to hopefully get just a grain of information in case there's anything that will point him in the correct direction as to what Voldemort is up to. Meanwhile, his cousin says he's out to tea, but he's actually out with his friends, vandalizing things, smoking, throwing stones at cars and children, Always a great pastime for any great person to have. 
Um, and the Dursleys just have absolutely no idea that he's actually doing this, apparently. And we know that Mr. and Mrs. Dursley, has they have never been reliable when it comes to Dudley. Just like with his diet in the last book, they're, they always like make up like, oh, he's not overweight and he's not mean and he's like the greatest person to ever have existed, right? Meanwhile, Dudley is an absolutely horrible person. <laughs> and so do you think, I just thought of this while I was reading, do you think that they're just delusional or do you think they know what's going on and they're just pretending that things are different than they actually are? Let me know your thoughts on that because I think it's interesting to think about. So Harry is in the flower bed under the hydrangeas listening to the news and he hears this really loud noise and he tries to get up, he gets his wand out and he thinks that it was the sound of somebody apparating and Uncle Vernon basically reaches out of the window and starts choking Harry in like a Homer and Bart Simpson style way. <laughs> At least that's how I imagined it. And then he stops. And there's this line where it talks about how he'd almost been like shocked. And upon first reading it, you might think that it's because like the neighbors are, are looking out and, you know, that's not really a good image for him to have. You know, they have this very put together image of themselves as a family. And yes, they say Harry is like a delinquent. Um, but I mean, anybody choking a child is, you know, you can't really tell people that you're a great person if you're seen choking a child out of a window. But upon further reading of this scene, I think it's actually this moment of, of Vernon being shocked. I think it's that same like accidental magic that we see in book one before Harry finds out that he's a wizard. So remember like when Harry was talking about all oh, these really weird things would happen to him like he would just sort of like end up on the roof accidentally or Ampetunia would like shave his hair off and then it would grow back by the next morning or he didn't want to wear this like really ugly sweater and so like as Ampetunia is trying to like force it on him it gets smaller and smaller so she can't do it. So this seems like another sort of like instinctual moment of magic to get Uncle Vernon off of him. And we see this like lightning thing against the Dursleys continue in more of a verbal way where we see Harry giving hella attitude to the Dursleys and it's absolutely wonderful to see um, when Uncle Vernon's asking him about why he's watching the news every day or listening to the news I should say and Harry's like well it changes every day and then when Vernon's like you know we're not stupid and Harry's like, well, that's news to me. You know, I think this is, I think there's a lot of things going on here, which we'll talk about with Harry. I think he has a lot of internal things going on. But at the same time, is there anyone who deserves more this attitude than the Dursleys? Like, they absolutely deserve it. And we love to see Harry push back against these horrible people in his life. And speaking of what Harry has going on internally you know we spoke at the end of Goblet of Fire of everything that Harry went through and we speculated about how that might show up in this book because 
he went through a very traumatic experience. And so we find out in this first chapter that Harry has had barely any contact with the magical world and he's desperate for news and you know he's just trying to have some contact and sort of keep track about what's going on because he hasn't heard anything and you know he hears that loud sound and he immediately thinks that it was somebody apparating but then he begins to question whether it was just if it was the sound of someone apparating or if he was just making it up because you know he misses the magical world so much and I think that's really sad he has been hopeless all summer and angry and we find out that he's really been kept in the dark like he's getting letters from Ron and Hermione but they're off doing whatever they're doing not giving him a lot of information just saying like oh we'll see you soon you know he's hearing from Sirius saying like you know stay out of trouble and knowing that two of your best friends are off doing something else without you and they haven't invited you to come join that is enough to give anybody FOMO even without the trauma that Harry has been through which would probably require him to need a little bit more contact with his friends than other people would. So serious FOMO going on and I cannot blame him because I'm sure I would feel the same way. And his anger, I think, is justified. It makes perfect sense. He's been through all of this stuff and now he just has to wait to be included in things. And we also start to see how the events of the last book are, are affecting him. We learn that he's been having nightmares about Cedric. And he even tells himself, don't think about that. Because obviously those memories bother him and he doesn't want to relive that. And when he doesn't dream about Cedric... He's dreaming about long, dark corridors that have dead ends and locked doors. And Harry thinks it's because that he feels trapped when he's awake. He can't escape, regardless of if he's awake or if he's asleep. And usually, at least when you're sleeping, your dreams can be an escape of some kind from your reality during the day. But he can't even get that. And there's a passage on page 10 that I want to read to you guys. Quote, the injustice of it all welled up inside him so that he wanted to yell with fury. If it hadn't been for him, nobody would even have known Voldemort was back. And his reward was to be stuck in Little Whinging for four solid weeks, completely cut off from the magical world, reduced to squatting among dying begonias so that he could hear about water skiing buttergars. How could Dumbledore have forgotten him so easily? Why had Ron and Hermione got together without inviting him along too? How much longer was he supposed to endure Sirius telling him to sit tight and be a good boy, or resist the temptation to write to the stupid daily prophet and point out that Voldemort had returned? These furious thoughts whirled around in Harry's head, and his insides writhed with anger as a sultry, velvety night fell around him, the air full of the smell of warm, dry grass, and the only sound that of the low grumble of traffic on the road beyond the park railings. Harry is pissed, 
and I think he's right to be so. He's being kept in the dark, and yet he is the one that experienced everything firsthand the year before. And he's kind of internalizing all of this because he doesn't even feel like he can still reach out to his friends or to Sirius anymore because everything's old news. And Harry is so angry that he does want to let it out in some way. You know, he when he's sitting in the park, he has these thoughts that he wants Dudley to come over so he can have a go at him because he needs an outlet for this anger that's within him. And Harry realizes, logistically, that seeking a fight really isn't going to be worth it. But the impulse he has for it, I think, says a lot about where he's at right now. You know, he says he'd love to vent some of his frustration on the boys who had once made his life hell. And who wouldn't feel that way? And, you know, this whole chapter is about this. You know, he's outside of the house He's hiding. He's literally left out. He, he can't sit in the living room. And he can't know what Ron and Hermione are doing. He's dealing with the aftermath of everything that just happened just weeks ago, if you really think about it. And then, later on in this chapter, the Dementors show up. It all points back to how Harry is feeling inside. So Harry ends up catching up to Dudley, and gives him a hard time. Which isn't the all-out fight that he, he wanted earlier, but it's still something. And it's a way to get his anger out on someone who definitely deserves it. But Dudley gets the upper hand for a moment when he brings up the fact that Harry moans about Cedric in his sleep. And Harry says that he has 14 years of hatred in his veins, that pop up. And this is when the Dementors show up. And what's interesting here is that Dementors are commonly seen as a symbol of depression, and they show up when Harry is incredibly angry. And what else is interesting is that these Dementors, both times we've seen them in this series so far, we've seen them in places where they're not usually expected. So to help us figure out what this might mean, I looked into the links between PTSD and depression, anger and depression, and PTSD and anger. So PTSD and depression commonly co-occur in people, and depression is a common response after a traumatic or a stressful event, which Harry definitely went through. And research has found that half of all people with PTSD also have a co-occurring major depressive disorder. So it's very common. Symptoms of PTSD, according to the DSM-5, include unwanted memories, flashbacks, avoidance of trauma reminders, irritability, hypervigilance, negative thoughts and emotions, and feelings of isolation. Depression symptoms, according to the DSM-5, include depressed mood, loss of interest or pleasure, sleep difficulties, fatigue or restlessness, feeling guilty, difficulty concentrating, and thoughts of dying or suicide. For a diagnosis of PTSD, someone must have experienced a traumatic event and have these symptoms for at least one month 
and they need to impair regular functioning and cause significant distress. Meanwhile, for a diagnosis of depression, they need five of the symptoms listed within the same two-week period, and it has to be a change from how you would normally act. Also, it's worth noting that a history of trauma and abuse is a risk factor for depression, and that history can also cause PTSD. I'm not sure there's enough evidence here to say that the Dursleys have caused Harry to have PTSD, but we can absolutely call their behavior abuse. When we look at the connection between depression and anger, in many instances, symptoms of depression can translate into anger. So feeling unworthy or feeling helpless can then translate into anger. Anger isn't listed in the DSM-5 as part of the criteria for depression in adults, but it is worth noting that irritability is a key factor for diagnosing children and adolescents. And one of the reasons why this may be the case for people with depression to also have anger is emotional regulation. So researchers have found that people with depression are more likely to experience anger and irritability if they didn't have the ability to emotionally regulate and they tended to ruminate on the negative events. Also, it's worth noting that according to the National Institute of Mental Health, men tend to be less likely to talk about their depression than women. And instead, they might choose to hide their emotions, and that can result in irritability, anger, and aggressiveness. And if we think about it, Harry doesn't have anybody to talk to. He's isolated from his friends because they've excluded him in whatever they're doing. He's living with an abusive family that already doesn't want to hear about the magical world, let alone the bad things happening in the magical world. So Harry might not be choosing to keep everything inside. We don't really know at this point specifically, but even if he wanted to share and talk about this with someone, he doesn't have a choice right now given his situation there's literally nobody around him who is available to listen and this anger that comes along with depression can take a few forms so we see irritability which is a feature of depression this is usually like snapping at others or reacting negatively to small things that you like uh, you otherwise probably would be able to handle hostility which is expressing outward anger toward others And there are anger attacks, which is a rapid and intense onset of anger and is also a feature of depression. And this can pop up over the littlest things. And when we look at the connection between PTSD and anger, they often occur together. Anger and irritability are some of the hyperarousal symptoms of PTSD. And it can feel out of control to the person who is experiencing it. There can be constructive anger, which helps in the healing process, or there can be destructive anger, which causes harm. Some might try to hide their anger, which can cause it to build up, 
And this can cause people to turn on themselves instead of others, which can result in self-destructive behaviors. So these are all things to keep in mind for now and for further on in this book. Do you think any of this applies to Harry right now? I think it's definitely interesting to think about, especially given that the Dementors are a symbol of depression and given what Harry has gone through over the last few weeks. And what do you think it means that in the places where we've seen these Dementors, it hasn't been in the place where they're supposed to be? The first time we've seen them was at Hogwarts, on the train and then on the grounds. Now we're seeing them in Little Whinging. So what does that say about these creatures? And what does that say about this situation symbolically? So these two Dementors go after Harry and Dudley. They change the temperature of the evening, the stars go away. Dudley thinks Harry is doing something on purpose and runs away after hitting Harry and causing him to lose his wand. And Harry, in this moment, does wandless magic, which we really haven't seen before, and it's difficult to do. And, you know, he's looking for his wand, and he says Lumos, and it lights up, and he's not even touching it. And I think, if we think about magic, it shows how instinctual magic might be, because Harry, this is a life-or-death situation, He needs his wand. He's desperately looking for it. He needs light for this to work and for him to survive. And so his wand lights up for him to find it, which is awesome to think about when you think about magic as a part of someone and how our instincts kick in in these high emergency life or death situations. And it seems that magic is no different. And when the Dementors are close, Harry hears... Voldemort's voice this time instead of his parents and it's from their meeting after the third task which should show you how much that experience has made an impression on Harry but what else is interesting is that as mad as he is at Ron and Hermione for being together and leaving him out of whatever it is it is the thought of them that allows Harry to produce his full Patronus. And I think that is worth pointing out because it shows the depth of their friendship and the love that is there even if he's mad at them. Ultimately, that's what we see in a lot of friendships. You know, we might have situations where we're mad at our friends, but ultimately we love them truly And they can be the reason that we're able to produce a full Patronus to save our lives, even if, you know, they're leaving us out of whatever and causing us FOMO. I think that's really important. And as he defeats these two Dementors, everything goes back to normal. And we see Mrs. Fig, their neighbor, the one that has all the cats that Harry doesn't like going over to her house, she comes running in and tells Harry not to put his wand away. What if there are more Dementors? And so we find out that she knows about wizards and magic. And what a start to this book we have. It is action-packed and it's an emotional first chapter. And if that lays the groundwork 
for the rest of this book? Wow. What are we in for? As always, I love to hear your thoughts. Please feel free to send me an email at firstyearspodcast at gmail.com or shoot me a DM or tag me on Instagram or Twitter at firstyearspod. We have a lot of exciting things coming up for you guys for this book. I hope to see you at House Cup Cocktails Night this Friday at 8 p.m. EST. For next episode, you need to read chapters two and three, and I will see you guys next time. First Years is a production of Matchbook. It's produced by Quinn Parker and myself, Sarah Jones Dittmeyer. All sources can be found in our show notes or on our website at authorsarahjonesdittmeyer.info forward slash first years podcast. That's Sarah with an H and Dittmeyer is spelled D-I-T-T-M-E-I-E-R. Please remember that staying a Harry Potter fan is the biggest form of revolt that you can have, and we are committed to continuing to make this fandom and this community safe and welcoming to everybody.